Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook Live. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. As I was praying in this summer season and looking ahead, uh, I just felt the need to unpack a couple stories from the life of Jesus that demonstrate, that show his heart for those who are outside the walls of the church. And so today, we begin a three-part series called Over the Walls. Over the Walls. We're going to look at three different stories from the life of Jesus where he went beyond maybe the comfort zone of the norm. He went beyond maybe what the church or the religious people were comfortable with, but he went beyond those walls, beyond those barriers to reach a lost and seeking heart. And that's our heart in this summer season. And so uh, my friend and mentor, Pastor Joe Stoner, is going to come up. Pastor Joe's been on staff at the Harrisonburg campus. I estimate about 43 years. He says it hasn't been that long. Uh, I'll let you decide. Uh, But Pastor Joe serves on staff at our Harrisonburg campus. He's part of the reason I'm here today uh, because he called uh, when I was still working in construction and uh, God was working and moving, and he called, and and we had a a conversation about coming on to staff at the church. So uh, if you have a description, email Pastor Joe, uh, Pastor Joe at cotnaz.org. <clears throat> You're welcome. Thanks. Uh, but Pastor Joe is a great man of the Lord, a, a dear friend, a uh, very wise and discerning and compassionate heart. And when those three come together, it's pretty special. And so you're in for a treat today. Can I pray for you, brother, as we open up the text today? Lord, I thank you for this man who has said yes to you with his whole life. And God, I thank you for the wisdom that you have given him. Lord, the compassionate heart that he bears. Uh, So Lord, will you anoint him today with your presence? Speak through him uh, as we uh, listen. Give us open hearts, Lord. Help us to search our hearts to see if we have erected any walls, Lord. If we're being confined by our own comfort zones in this season, Lord, will will you show that to us? Uh, through this passage today, Lord. Uh, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Joe, take Amen. it away. Well, thanks, Jared. It's great to be here. And um, I started at the first service by talking about a couple things that are different about Jared and I. But I, as he was talking there, I just thought of something that we really share kind of the same. And um, prior to ministry, both of us were construction workers. Um, I won't tell you what I used to do, because you might ask me to come do it. And... Um, my body's getting too old to do that anymore. So, um, but Jared is quite young enough still to do what he used to do, so I'll just put that out there. But there are a few differences in us as well. You know, he's kind of tall and thin, and I'm not as tall. I'm a little more... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I, I grow a lot of hair on the top of my head, and he's just not gifted in that way. But he has a lot going on here. I could do that, but I, I don't think my wife would probably divorce me if I did that. So um, I'm not sure how his wife feels about it, but we won't get into that this morning. Uh, but it is really good to be with you guys. Um, 
I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but in your almost a year and a half, this is the first I've been here on a Sunday morning. Um, others of my family, I should have said this in the first service, my wife is sitting over here, and she's been out here quite a few times, and our son, um, Brandon, is with um, her this morning, um, and Brandon's attending here some as well, because he lives a little bit more out this way, so he kind of comes here sometimes, he goes to Harrisonburg sometimes, um, that's what it is when you're young, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, go where you want to be, but Jared has already kind of set this up this morning, he's already preached about the first uh, couple of sentences I had, because he told you what the series is. And so we can kind of just dive right into it this morning. And um, what we're talking about today is a lady who was broken. And as, um, as P- uh, Pastor John was leading this morning, they did a great job. Uh, the one song, there, there was a particular lyric, the last song that we just sang, that really jumped out at me. Um, it says this, I think it was the second verse. It says, and take my body and build it up. May it be broken as an offering of love. What an oxymoron. Build me up but break me so that I can be used for you. And then um, some of you, that if you've been around the church a long time, and when I say a long time, I'm talking about maybe like the 1970s, 1980s, something like that. Um, I was born in the church. I mean, I, almost literally, not quite. Um, but um, I've been in the church all my life. And I remember <clears throat> this song from when I was a kid. It was a Gaither song. This is the phrase. It comes from the song, I will serve thee because I love thee. It says, heartaches, broken pieces, Ruined lives are why you died on Calvary. Keep that in your mind this morning. That ruined lives, broken people are really the reason why Jesus came and the reason uh, why he died on Calvary. But we're talking about this brokenness. It's a heavy word. Our world is filled with brokenness and broken people. When we think of something being broken, we envision many different things. Perhaps you're the survivor of a broken marriage. Perhaps you're broken because you've lost a dear loved one in recent times. Or maybe you survived a broken engagement, or you live in a broken home, or you're the victim of broken promises, or you have a broken heart. Broken for these people means that the societal structures that usually give us support are broken and we lack the typical support that society offers to help us through the challenges of life. When things get broken, and they will, we usually just throw them away. Another way to say broken is useless. When something is broken, it loses its usefulness and its value. And it makes sense to throw things away because they're broken and they're no longer useful to us. But there's another type of broken. It's when people are broken. Sometimes people are so broken, they're not able to function in society and reach the potential that God has given them. Broken may mean they've suffered an emotional pain that's so strong that it changes the way they live. And usually it's as the result of an unpleasant event, something that happened to them. And so that brings us to the scripture that we're going to look at today. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And if you use the version Bible app, there's an event set up there for the church. The scriptures and a few other notes are there for you today. But before we get into the scripture, I want to give you a little bit of background. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus has been ministering in the area around the Sea of Galilee. First, he was in Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is really a large lake. Um, then he, um, that's where he healed the servant of the centurion. A lot of you probably are familiar with that story. After that, he traveled to a village called Nain, which is several miles south of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up as a boy. 
And right after those two stories, Luke interjects this other conversation where two disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and they asked him the question. He said, are you the one that we should be looking for? In other words, are you the Messiah or is somebody else coming? They weren't sure um, based on what Jesus was doing. So Jesus said, go back and report to John. And here's what he said to say. He said, the blind are receiving sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So he sends that message back, and then just as abruptly as that, it just goes right into this next story. And the scripture will be on the screen. You can follow along as we read Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, there's a very similar story to this in all four of the Gospels. Um, it's kind of interesting. There, there's a lot of similarities that would lead you to believe um, that they're the same story. But there's such significant differences at the same time that it seems kind of clear that they probably are not the exact same story. Um, So today, we're just going to focus on this one. There's plenty here for us to look at. And um, so let's dive into this, and let's let's take a look at what's going on here. First of all, I want to give you some background, because it just jumps right into the story. And um, there are several observations I want to make to help us understand what is going on. At a quick glance, it seems strange that this woman is even here at this dinner. Initially, it seems as if the only people that are there are Jesus and the Pharisee. Because when you look at it, it just starts out saying there's a Pharisee who invited Jesus to dinner. And Jesus is there with him. But as you go on later in the account, it names him as Simon the Pharisee. 
If I had been writing it, I probably would have said, Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner. But for some reason, they don't reveal who it is till later. And then in verse 45, Jesus says, This woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. So it appears that she was already there when Jesus arrived. And um, I, I, I just get the idea in my mind that um, she somehow heard about it. And she was there even before Jesus arrived because she's waiting and she's in anticipation of what might happen there. And then in verse 49, there's another revelation. There's other guests there. We don't know who they are, uh, but they're just kind of seated around the conference of, of the room. And they, we know that they're there because it says these other people began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? So when we look at the whole story, we can see the setting is a little bit different than we first imagined. We thought it was just Jesus and this Pharisee sitting there um, having dinner together. There's actually a room full of people. And so as as I was studying this and trying to uh, come up with what we would talk about this morning, before I knew it, I kind of found myself just writing Um, actually typing, that's kind of the way we write today, isn't it? Um, And and I was kind of putting the story in my own words and my own thoughts. And I read a lot of commentaries and writers, that the thoughts that they had about it. And this story began to form in my mind. So today, um, I I, I finished it, and I I just want to read to you uh, what I feel like God really kind of helped me um, see and put on paper. And so I want to read you the story as I believe it may have happened according to my sanctified imagination. Near the Sea of Galilee, there was a woman who had come upon desperate times. Through a series of events, she found herself alone in the world and with no means to support herself other than the trade that other desperate women fall to when they have no financial means. Everyone in town knew her, or rather they knew her by her reputation. Most would never admit they knew her because that would be to acknowledge they too are guilty of the same sin she was known for. She was tired and she was lonely. She longed for change. She wanted to be free from the long stares and disrespect she felt every day. Life had broken her into so many pieces and she felt like she may never be whole again. She had heard of this Jesus who was traveling from village to village. Rumors circulated that he was healing lepers and restoring the sight of the blind. In the village of Nain, there was a widow whose only son had died. Jesus interrupted the funeral procession and raised the boy from the dead. And she began to think about her own life and what a mess it had become. And thought if Jesus could raise the dead, perhaps he could help her. Evening shadows were deepening as the sun vanished over the horizon. Servants had lit a few oil lamps, and the flickering shadows were dancing on the walls of the dining room. The door was opened into the courtyard, where people were still passing by as they were making their way home to be with their family for the evening meal. In the center of the room, there was a low table with seats that were more like couches or a divan. Dinner was a time of physical nourishment, and also a time to relax and rest from the labors of the day. And so Jesus enters this room and notices immediately that a few others are present. It has been a long day of ministry. He had recently journeyed from Capernaum and then to Nain, and he was tired and dirty and in need of a bath. Because Simon had invited him to dinner, he thought that his feet would be washed of the dirt from the dusty road, and surely there would be a warm towel to wipe the dirt and sweat from his face. But Simon is already reclining at the table. 
and he motions for Jesus to join him. Jesus makes his way to the table and reclines there. As his eyes adjust to the flickering light, he surveys the others seated around the walls of the room. Because they aren't reclining at the table, they hadn't been invited, but had heard that Jesus would be dining there. And so they came uninvited so they could observe and listen to the conversation at the table. Let me digress just for a second here. I've done a little study on Eastern um, cultural things from that time. And it was really a common thing that if somebody um, of Simon the Pharisee's status in life, if, if his, the, his house, probably the way it was arranged, is different than we think of homes today. His dining area was probably more of an open area that opened out into the street. And so if he and Jesus are dining there, it was common just to leave your door open. And as people are passing by, they can look in. And especially if there's someone of notoriety that's dining with Simon, um, it was considered okay in their culture to go ahead and enter the room and just be there. And um, so these other people were probably seated around the, the circumference of the room. And this was something that was a very common thing. So it's not that um, unusual that the woman would feel like she could go there as well uh, because most likely the door was open and people had just come into the room. So with that knowledge, picking back up, prior to Jesus' arrival, the woman had slipped in quietly. She glances around and sees that others are here. Off to the side, she sees an empty corner and she makes her way over and hides in the shadows, hoping no one saw her. She is carrying a small jar and is holding it closely to protect it. It's clear that whatever she is holding is valuable and precious to her. Soon, Jesus comes in and finds his way to the table. She noticed that Simon motions for Jesus to approach the table, but he never greeted him with a kiss and didn't offer to wash his dusty feet. Suddenly, she regrets being there. She doesn't belong here. She was an outcast. When people see her, the first adjective that comes to mind is sinner. For a woman to be known as a sinner meant only one thing. She was a prostitute. And no one would really ever acknowledge they knew her because they were afraid any association with her would imply that they were one of her paying customers. In the midst of her regret for being there, she remembered why she came. Earlier in the day, she overheard a conversation at the market that Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus to dine with him that evening. She had no idea others would be there. In her mind, she thought she might be able to talk to Jesus. She heard the stories of how he healed people, and just the day before, the news spread that he raised the only son of a widow from the dead. Perhaps if she could just talk to him and explain her predicament, Maybe he could perform a miracle for her and she would be free from her life of brokenness and shame. As she reflected on her shame, she began to cry silent tears. At first, the tears were more from embarrassment. Then they turned bitter with deep sorrow. The others were talking quietly and trying to overhear the conversation between Jesus and Simon. But the only voice she heard was inside her head and it was telling her what a fool she was. The voice said she was worthless and no one wanted her here. It went on to remind her of all the sinful things that she did and was still doing daily just to survive. She wanted to leave. By now, she was no longer seated but had somehow fallen to her knees. She tried to get to her feet, but as she did, the tears began to flow harder and she could barely see the open doorway. 
In her effort to move closer to the door, she had actually only moved a little bit forward, and she realized she somehow had moved closer to Jesus than the door. She was clutching the alabaster box she brought with her. She almost forgot that she had it. It was the most valuable thing that she owned. If she could sell it for what it was worth, she might be able to buy freedom from her life of shame. But now she knew it didn't matter because she was in the presence of Jesus. She couldn't leave. She was so close now, and so she crawled a little bit further. And when she looked up, she realized she was at his feet. And now the tears really began to flow. They flowed down her cheeks and began to fall on his feet. In her shame and embarrassment, she looked for a towel, and none was there. So she began to wash and dry his feet with her hair. Then she took the alabaster box and released the seal. She began to pour the perfume on Jesus' feet as she continued to wipe his feet with her hair. Suddenly, a beautiful fragrance swept through the room, and every eye in the room came to rest on this woman kneeling at Jesus' feet. Simon was aghast, and his face showed it, but he didn't utter a word. He was thinking that if Jesus was a prophet, surely he would know what a foul sinner this woman was. Jesus looked at him and knew what he was thinking. So he said, Simon, I want to tell you a story. It was completely still and quiet by now, and everyone was listening. So Jesus said to Simon, there were two people who owed money to a money lender. One owed him $500 and the other 50. Both of them had come upon hard times, and neither had the money to repay the loan. So the banker forgave both of their debts. Now, which one of them will love him more? So Simon thought carefully and said, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. Jesus looked at him and said, you have judged correctly. The woman had not dared to look up. But when Jesus said, which one of them will love him more? She realized Jesus was talking about her. So she began to lift her eyes. And when Jesus turned his gaze from Simon, he looked directly into her eyes, but continued to speak to Simon and said, Simon, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Let me tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins have been forgiven. She couldn't believe the words she was hearing. She had stolen into the room just to see if she could find some favor from the master. And now she had heard him say her sins were forgiven. Everyone knew she was a sinner, but she was now forgiven. By now, all the other guests were talking among themselves and wondering how Jesus could forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he looked at the woman and said, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I was writing this story out in my own imagination, how it might have happened. 
And I realized there were there's six points that we really get from this story, and I can move through them quickly. The number one, it's obvious. There was a woman who was a sinner, and she needed forgiveness. And there are many people in society today who are like her. Everyone knows that they are sinners, and they need the love of God and the grace that He can offer. But there's another person in the story, very much the same. There was a religious Pharisee who was a sinner and needed forgiveness. Simon the Pharisee, he represents the religious people, and I hate to tell you, but that's a lot of us. When we read the story, we judge him as being harsh and judgmental. But if we're honest, a lot of times we can be that way too. When Jesus asked Simon who would love the most, the one who had been forgiven a little or a lot, Jesus is telling Simon that he too is in need of forgiveness just like the woman was. Those of us who are inside the wall, we need to be careful lest we forget how we've been forgiven and we're just like those who are still outside the walls needing God's love and His forgiveness. And the third thing is, Jesus came to seek and to save all sinners. The Bible tells us this. Jesus said this Himself. I love to see in the many stories of Jesus how He hung out with sinners. And I, I wonder today, if Jesus lived in Elkton, where do you think Jesus would hang out? Right here with us would be one of the places. He might be here on Sunday. But throughout the week, where do you think he might hang out? I don't know if, if Elkton is like Harrisonburg, but um, there's uh, like um, homeless encampments around. I think Jesus, do you realize Jesus, he said of himself, he doesn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus, in many ways, was homeless. And so he hung out with those people. I think he would probably hang out in the restaurants and the bars, the people out away from the church that need to know the love and grace of God, I think Jesus would hang out with them because He came to seek and to save all sinners. And He would probably hang out in the church as well because um, the sinners, the ones who are in the sin of self-righteousness, tend to hang out there. And the fourth point is, sinners are closer to the kingdom than the self-righteous. Look at this story. Simon was self-righteous, thought everything's okay with him. He's not even very happy that this woman is in his house. And he was thinking that if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what a foul sinner this woman was. So it becomes obvious what he thinks about her. But the woman, the one identified as a sinner in this story, was actually much closer to entering the kingdom of God at that moment. But because she came in humbleness and repentance. But Simon was there relying on his own self-righteousness. The fifth point is that like Jesus, we need to welcome sinners into our fellowship. Now Luke chapter 15, later on in the same book, um, Jesus tells three different stories about three different lost things. It's where we find the story of the lost son. We often call it the prodigal son. And Luke starts the, the chapter out by saying this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, we just talked about where would Jesus hang out. This scripture kind of tells us, again, where Jesus hung out. But there's this interesting phrase that we find often throughout the Gospels, where it says here, Now the tax collectors and sinners 
were all gathered around Jesus. It kind of lumps them together. Now, I can understand that tax collectors might not be your most favorite people in the world because they take uh, the money that you view as being yours. But why would these two people be lumped together like this? Well, you have to understand in the Jewish mindset about sin, they looked at sin differently than we do today. Um, when they called someone a sinner, it meant that they were guilty of a rather egregious sin that was public, and everybody knew that that defined their life. And a tax collector was a Jew, one of them, who had agreed for the Roman government, the ones who were kind of their captors, if you will, they collected the taxes for the Roman government. So you can understand why the Jews did not look very um, kindly towards tax collectors. They considered them traitors. So there were two classes of people in society that the Jews looked down on more than anybody. It was sinners and tax collectors. And that's why we find this phrase very often. This woman is known as a sinner. It's her identity. She was known by her trade, most likely a prostitute. When you look at the scripture, the way this is said, most scholars agree the way it's said, the only thing that she probably could be would be a prostitute because that's what the sinner identifies. She was an outcast. And so I ask you this today, who are the sinners of society today who are outcasts and might not feel welcome here in this place? Not because they're not truly welcome, but because they feel like they would be judged as a sinner if they came. And, and then the sixth point I just want to ask you today, in this story there were two sinners. Which one of them were or are you? It's implied that the one who owed 500 was the woman because she was expressing the most love to Jesus. The one who owed $50 was Simon the Pharisee who was depending on his own righteousness to find favor with God rather than simply asking God for forgiveness. So the question is, are you the, the sinner who's lost in deep sin? Or are you the sinner that's lost in your own self-righteousness, just trying to be good enough? You have to remember that both are lost. And the only way that either one of them can find a relationship with God is by trusting in Jesus and having a right relationship with Him. We started out today talking about brokenness. And surely this woman was broken. And at Jesus' feet, she found forgiveness and healing. And I was trying to think of some example that might give you a visual, something um, that maybe you've never heard before, um, that would help you understand brokenness and how God really um, looks at our brokenness. And um, before I, I get to it, I, I, I want to say this statement, though, that will help you understand my illustration more. When God saves us, He doesn't eliminate all our scars. I know some of us will like all the scars just to be gone. But he doesn't eliminate all the scars, but he does remove the shame. Um, I mean, think, think about this lady. Her reputation didn't go away after that. Everyone knew who she had been. The scars still existed, but her shame was gone. One of the best illustrations of this, and you'll see this pop up on the screen, it's an ancient Japanese art form called kintsugi. How many have ever heard the term kintsugi before? Well, good. You're going to learn something today. Um, several centuries ago, there was a Japanese military dictator who had a highly prized tea bowl that came from China. It was broken, so he sent it back. And when it came back to him, the way they fixed it, 
they actually must have drilled some holes and put staples to hold the pottery together. And it was so ugly in his mind, and he was so disappointed that he found some artisans and said, listen, I want you to find a way to fix my bowl that, yes, the scars of it, the brokenness will still be there, but when it's done, I want it to be beautiful. So um, what they came up with is they got the sap from a certain tree and used it for a lacquer, for a glue. And they developed this process where they glue all the pieces back together. Now, if the bowl had been broken very into a lot of pieces, it was a long and arduous process. You could only glue one or two pieces at a time and had to wait one or two days for it to dry, and then you would come back to it. And so if there were a lot of pieces, it could take weeks, even months, to put the bowl back together. And on the very final application of the, the sap, the lacquer, the glue on all the joints, the artisan would mix gold dust into it and paint all the cracks so that they were not hidden, but that they would be seen. So rather than trying to hide the scars, he makes them more obvious, but beautiful. We're surrounded by people who are broken. They are scarred and they feel ugly, not like the beautiful bull when it's finished. Like the woman kneeling at Jesus' feet, wiping them with her tears, these people can't dare to even look up to meet the eyes of the master because they feel nothing but shame. But God. But God might be the two most important words ever uttered. But God through Christ shows us what he really sees when he looks at us. He sees one who doesn't need more reproach because we heap it so generously on ourselves. He sees one who needs forgiveness and he longs to offer it to us. Like Kintsugi, God wants to mend the trauma that sin has devastated upon us. And in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 10, it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, like the bull. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to hold on to this phrase, but God, who is rich in mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, has extended his grace to you, but he did it not for you to keep it to yourself. He wants you to extend the mercy that we've received to others who need it. Later in the same chapter in Ephesians, Paul is explaining to the Ephesians, uh, the gr this group of people he's writing to, that Jesus came to break down the walls that separated Jews from Gentiles. Now, that's not a conversation we have very often today, but it was like their racial reconciliation topic of that day. 
Um, obviously, the Jews, they were the people of the New Testament. Jesus was a Jew. And everybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And the Jews looked at the Gentiles as not really being worthy of being within the fellowship. And Paul was trying to get them to understand that Jesus came for everybody. There's a wall um, that separates us today. And a lot of times we think of ourselves as either saved or unsaved. There's a wall of separation there. Or we might think of churched and unchurched. But this passage tells us that Jesus came to break down all those walls. Here's what it says. For he, Jesus, himself is our peace. He who made the two groups one has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So we know that God sent Jesus for this one purpose, to bring those who are on the other side of the wall into fellowship with him. Jesus shows us that the people who are on the other side of the wall are welcome into the kingdom of God. But yet we who once were on the other side of the wall, we so quickly forget who is still out there. And you may ask, how do we help people to get on this side of the wall? And I want to give you three quick points. Jesus commissioned us to finish his mission here. And these three points will help us do that. Number one, to accomplish this, you need to ask God to give you the same heart of compassion that Jesus had for those who are outside the wall. There's uh, several times in the Gospels, I love this, uh, when it's talking about Jesus, it says several times, he looked out on the multitudes and his heart was moved with compassion because he saw how needy they were. That's the type of Jesus that we serve today. And I'm asking you today to ask God to give you that same compassion that Jesus had. And then the second one is ask God to help you recognize those who are outside the wall. Jesus shows us that there are two types of people outside the wall, those lost in sin and those lost in the sin of self-righteousness. We're pretty good at recognizing the ones who are in deep sin because we know what being a sinner looks like. But often um, there can be people inside this room that really are outside the wall because they haven't submitted themselves to Jesus and ask Him for forgiveness of their sins. And then the last one is to ask God to give you favor with those outside the wall. I remember not long after I came here, um, it wasn't 43 years ago, um, but it was a lot. And um, I, a lot of you don't know Pastor Kerry, who was the pastor of the church for 24 years. And um, he and I were visiting, and I have no idea what the visitation was. I don't know if you're going to the hospital, if we were going to see um, someone in their home. But he sent that it was an important visit and that it could have eternal consequences, perhaps, for this person. And as we were walking in, he was just kind of just praying out loud. And he said, Lord, give us your favor today. And that's what I'm trying to say to you here today. Ask God for favor as you go into places. When you're going to a place where you know there might be somebody there that you have the opportunity, whether it's with your words or just with your life and your actions, to pray that prayer, say, Lord, as I go in this place today, give me your favor as I am here representing you. Because we can't do this in our own strength and in our own power. We need his favor. As we wrap this up today, I'm going to ask the band, the musicians to come back forward. And our response to this today allows us to receive of Holy Communion together. As I was preparing this, 
um, and I was looking at some of the scriptures we typically read when we partake of this sacrament, I was aware that there's a tie-in here as well that I wanted to point out to you. Jesus, when he was what we call the Last Supper, um, he tells his disciples to take of the bread and the cup to remember him. But you have to remember that the four Gospels were written later than a lot of what we call the Pauline epistles. Um, 1 Corinthians would be what we call, it was written by Paul. And so Paul was given the church at Corinth instructions on how they would partake of communion together. And Paul wrote that approximately 20 years before Luke was written. So I know sometimes this is hard for us to imagine, but in the early church, they did not have the Gospels to read. They told the stories to each other, and that's why the letters that Paul wrote to the churches were so important. So when the early church took a communion together, they would have read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to the people to tell them what communion was all about. And here's what they would have read. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus willingly allowed his body to be broken for us. So those of us who are broken could find wholeness and healing and forgiveness. So when you come to the table this morning, I really want you to come with two different ideas. One, come in gratitude because the brokenness of Jesus has brought you healing and brought you wholeness. But I also want you to come today remembering that there's others who are still out there who are broken and they need that hope and healing that can only be found in Jesus. So let me read just that entire passage to you real quickly. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth that you've given us in your word today. The truth is, every single one of us are broken. And even if we are in you, we're still finding healing in the many areas of our life that only you can bring. But thank you for the healing and the wholeness that you have brought when we have put our faith and trust in you. And so, Lord, today, I just pray that as we come to the table, our hearts will be full of gratitude for what you've done for us the great price that you paid for us and the brokenness that you are willing that you, you, your word tells us that you laid down your life 
It wasn't taken from you. So you willingly allowed yourself to be broken so that we could find wholeness. And Lord, in this moment, I pray that for each one of us that might be struggling to figure out how do we take this news, how do we take this message outside these walls to those who are still broken in sin. I pray as we come to the table that you will give us a new strength, a new compassion, a new desire to reach those who are still outside the walls. So with humbleness now, we come to your table and we partake of the bread, your body, and we partake of the juice, the fruit of the vine, representing your blood that was shed for us. And it is with grateful hearts that we come. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.